This Tuesday, no, it was actually Thursday. I was on the train on my way to Wolverhampton, and um, I always pray when I get on the train that I'll speak to somebody if, if um, God allows. And the gentleman who sat opposite me is an 80-year-old English man, and we engaged in conversation. For his age, he looked quite young, actually. Mm-hmm. I only found out he's 80 years old later. But um, I was think, talking about God, and he jumped immediately to, to the world war. His point was, um, if there is God, why did he kill out of Hitler, for example? That was his immediate conversation, which brought me to the topic we were discussing yeah. when Douglas Jacobi came yeah. on human suffering. And... Um, how, indeed, some suffering come from nature, mm-hmm. some come from ourselves, mm-hmm. and some will come from others inflicting suffering on us. So we're talking about um, the war. And uh, so as an accountant, I always go and use precious. And um, the First World War, military participation and losses, okay, the casualty was... 38 million. That's incredible, isn't it? This is what human beings did to each other. Then we'll come to the Second World War. Um, how many? 52 million, 200,000. Um, total deaths. And, and you can go through the nation from the First World War to Second World War. And this, even when I look at the statistics, is understated and the things we do to each other and so um, I was trying to say to the gentleman actually some things we do to each other Mm -hmm. so Proverbs 19 a person's own folly leads to their ruin yet their heart rages against the Lord Mm -hmm. wow it is so true we we do things and yet we blame God but also people are forced to sacrifice as was shared in the communion and in the remembrance, some people went so that those who were wicked trying to destroy the freedom we have, people went to lay down their lives for what we have now. Okay. I mean, just imagine living in Britain and you couldn't speak. Okay. Or you couldn't vote. Or you couldn't go to certain places. That is basic decency we are all trying to fight for. And people did lay down their lives for the future. And this conversation with this 80-year-old man went all the way from Chester Road um, Station to Birmingham New Street. And I, all I wanted to do was to engage so that we may even look at the Bible. I said, would you be interested if I came to visit you and look at the Bible? Um, he took my number and said he will, he will let me know. But... Um, <clears throat> Life, circumstances bring people to certain points yeah. in, in, in how they view God. And this man's argument is if there is God, Hitler shouldn't have been alive. Um, we can all debate on various things like that. But today, I really want us to look at our topic of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew 15. And uh, my topic will say, what would Jesus say about you? If you, if you had interaction with Jesus and you left him, 
What impression would we make of you? We all have impression of people after we've interacted with them, don't we? Okay. Um, the person you have interaction with, they go away and you think, wow, you form opinion, you form some impression of that individual. That person was a very nice person. This person is this way. This person is this way. What impression would Jesus form of you? Let's, let, let's look at something Jesus form of a, a lady. He had interaction with in Matthew 15. Matthew 15. The Canaanite woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Amen. Wow. What impression. What impact. Because... When you, when you look at the entire chapter 15, it begins when the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and asked questions. And then um, in verse 6, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's the impression they had, Jesus had after interacting with the, hip, with the Pharisees. He said, you are hypocrites. And yet with this lady, Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Then Jesus gives a parable again. Matthew 15 were coming down. The disciples come to Jesus and said, Do you know they were offended by that parable you gave? And Jesus says to them, Forget them, they are blind guides. <coughs> they are blind guides. They are going into a pit. Wow. What an impression to give Jesus. The Pharisees gave the Jesus the impression they were hypocrites and they were blind guides falling into a pit. Then Peter at that point says to Jesus, um, explain that parable to us. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Are you still so dull? He said to them, not just Peter, but to all the disciples. So the impression Jesus, the disciple, gave him was, they are just so dull. And yet we come to the woman, and Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Woman, you have great faith. But Let's go and look at what is happening with this woman and Jesus. I, I love this bit because when you read this thing, you think Jesus is the nastiest individual. <laughs> he was meant to be caring and compassionate and all that. And yet, you read these things and you think, wow, 
Jesus was being so difficult towards this woman. And we need to ask ourselves, why was Jesus doing that? We'll answer that at the end of the lesson. If I forget, remind me of, I'll tell you why Jesus was doing that. But at the moment, I want us to look at the woman. Okay. Jesus had a reason for what he was doing. Yeah. Wow. But let's look at the woman first. What did that woman do that gave Jesus the impression? She's got such great faith. She's got such great faith. The first thing we learn is the woman had conviction about who Jesus was and what he's about. When she came, the first thing she said is, uh, Lord, son of David. Now, this is a Gentile. She's not a Jew. Because Jesus said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You are not one of them. And yet this woman had conviction about who Jesus was. Of course, if you go back reading before we get to chapter 15, Jesus has been doing various things. The woman came from a specific area and, and would have heard what Jesus was doing. She's been forming opinion. She said about Jesus. But she came to a deep conviction. Lord, son of David, you are the Messiah. It's a messianic title. That a Gentile comes to Jesus. Mentioning. And he said, have mercy on me. You are merciful. I know whom you are. And I think it's important for us. If we're to be able to say we have great faith, or Jesus will look at us to say we have great faith, we need to know who Jesus is. And I know we've been looking at Jesus, his humanity, his deity, compassion. And so, most of you here do know what, what Jesus is about, but it's not just knowing, it has to be a conviction. Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Do you really believe Jesus is God? It needs to be a deep conviction. Do you believe Jesus is God? When Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, would you be able to have that conviction? When he has a disciple, whom do people say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Would we have that conviction about Jesus? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and in him. Wow! Do you believe that's about Christ? Therefore, when you approach him, do you see him that he can do all things? Like last week, when Peter says to him, when he says to Peter, do you really love me? He said, Jesus, you know all things. This woman comes to Jesus with that deep conviction. As to who Jesus really is. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. The deity of God rests in him according to the book of Colossians. He's the savior. He's the creator. That is the conviction this woman comes to Jesus with. So the first thing was she had some conviction about who Jesus was. It wasn't just a name. Even in our society it has become a swear word. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the Creator, the one who saves us. Do you come to Him believing, as He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life? Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
There is no other God. There is no other name by which we can be saved. It's a deep conviction. That's the first thing I noticed about that woman. Lord, Son of David, a messianic title. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. The second thing I learned, she was motivated by love for others. Was she ill? Did this woman, was this woman ill? Who was ill? Her daughter. Wow. Like the communion most shared. Unconditional love to her child. She comes saying, have mercy on me. And yet she wasn't even ill. She carries the pain of her child. Motivated by love for others. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. It reminds me of those in Mark 2. You remember those guys carrying their friend through the ceiling? And again, what did Jesus say to them? When Jesus saw the faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. He saw the faith of the friends. They were motivated by love for their friend. And parents, as Moshe, are motivated by love for their children. And rightly so. Amen. And rightly so. Again, Thursday on my journey, I stopped. Actually, I was meeting up with Martin. So, um, I went to John Lewis Cafe, which has become my office. Yeah. <laughs> you buy a drink and you can sit there for 12 hours. <laughs> so, I was in John Lewis Cafe. I was meeting Martin at quarter to five. I got there early to read. So I was reading my Bible, and then my phone rang. It was my friend Mohan phoning from London. So we were on the phone talking, and a woman stands in front of me, mm-hmm. notices my Bible. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to Mohan, and this woman is asking me, are you a pastor? Mm-hmm. And I'm nodding, and I said, Mohan, this lady is... Anyway, so she went for her drink and sat down, and Martin came, and I said, Martin, when we finish, I need to talk to that lady, mm-hmm. because she, she saw my Bible. And ask a question. So when we finished, has decided to speak to the lady. Guess where the lady lives? Wolverhampton. <laughs> but I said, you did ask me if I'm a pastor. You saw my Bible. Why did you ask that? And she wanted to talk about her family. And honestly, I've been a Christian for 32 years. It's probably one of the most haunting conversations I've had. Martin was hearing it. I thought, oh man, this is painful. And she was talking about her children. She's got two sons. One of them committed suicide not so long ago. And the other one who actually came into the show attempted suicide two times. Jumped under the tree, didn't die. Set himself alight, didn't die. His face, honestly, is as if something came from a horror movie when I saw him. 
the scar, the deformity, and the pain, and she unburdened herself. And then she asked me to phone the son. And I must say, I must confess, I was afraid to phone the son. Mm-hmm. Having listened to what happened. Mm-hmm. I thought, can we cope with this? Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. But that woman carries the burden mm-hmm. of her children. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she's motivated by love. Mm-hmm. She's willing to talk to me, a stranger, mm-hmm. because of her children. And and do we feel the pain of the lost world as Christians? Or do we think we are saved? And indeed we are saved, amen. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. And we can keep it to ourselves and come and sing and go and die and go to heaven. But goodness gracious, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. We need to be motivated by love. Yeah. I haven't found the lady yet. I confess I was afraid to make that phone call. Because I know the investment of time and energy and emotion. The drain. And I prayed. And I prayed. And I thought about Jesus and the demon possessed man. I said, what would Jesus do? Yeah. I had a conversation with my children. I said, I'm thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Jesus will go in. Yeah. And Jesus said, I'm with you always. Mm-hmm. So when I go in, I'm not going in as Roger Frempo. Right. Jesus is going in. Amen. And we need to be motivated by love. Yeah. Yeah. The circumstance may be overwhelming, mm-hmm. but we need to be motivated by love. Amen. Because I thought of the family group in Wolverhampton, I'm thinking... Can Mwamba handle this? Can Carol handle this? Can Sybil handle this? Can Joy handle this? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I think of the sisters. They will have to deal with this woman. And I'm thinking, can they handle this? I need to have faith, perhaps. But we need to be motivated by love. Yeah. Because when we invite people to church, it converts the whole church. Yeah. We're not dealing with just some... We are dealing with spiritual matters. And um, we need to, therefore, move spiritually in these situations. But she was motivated by love. Amen? She was motivated by love. My daughter is ill. The next thing is she was persistent. Seriously, if I go and talk to somebody and they didn't say a word to me, Okay, and I hear their friends saying, "Oh, send him away! (laughs) Send him away!" Because fishermen are not the most sensitive of people. They are not going to whisper to Jesus, "Jesus, send this, get out," you know. And then Jesus says, "Um, oh, you are not part of my tribe. I came to the Israelites. You're a Gentile. Come on. You're a dog." <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, if you if you had that, would you stay around this person? <laughs> Probably you spit at them, stone them, or something. Okay, you are not going to be. Yeah. Imagine if Boris Johnson knock on your door, <laughs> wanting your vote. 
and then he doesn't even talk to you and <laughs> send him away. And then he said you are a sheep. Or, you understand what I'm saying? You are a dog, something. I mean, no politician will do what Jesus did right here. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, no politician would do that. But then Jesus wasn't looking for when, when exactly he wasn't looking for votes. In fact, when in Luke, in Luke when the crowd surrounded him, he didn't say he said thousands. He didn't say, Come on guys, join my church. He said, Look, Unless you hate your mother and father, your brothers and sisters, your wife and children, even your own life, yeah. you cannot be my disciple. Oh, wow. That's what Jesus said. He wasn't looking for people. In John 6, when he spoke, he said, everybody turned, then he turned to his disciples and said, do you want to leave me too? <laughs> wow. And they said, where shall we go? But, this woman was persistent. There, and you see, when faith will be tested, if you are not tested, you do not have faith. She was persistent in the face of adversity. She was tried and tested. Even in this little situation, she was able to still master courage. All that Jesus threw at her. Wow. Jesus went silent. Have you had a silent treatment? Yeah. Wow. The silent treatment. And said, send her away. Send her away. I came to the lost sheep. You are not in my tribe, okay? The lost sheep of Israel. You are not part of us. You are a different color. You are a different race. You are a different economic status. You understand what I'm saying? You don't fit. It's not right to take take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I mean, you're not even human. I mean, that's painful. She was being tested. But she knew who Jesus was. So why is Jesus, it's not like Jesus, this is not a Messiah speech. That's why I said, I'll come to tell you why Jesus did what he did. So she was, she was tested. And we'll be tested in our faith. Whenever we are called to Christ, there will be a little test. For me, it was examination. A little examination called taxation. And I thought, man, can I come to church? Should I go to church or should I give up? Okay. She was humble. She was humble. Imagine if your employer did not respond to you. Imagine if your employer sent you away. Imagine if your employer said you are are not part of their race. Imagine if your employer called you a dog. I mean, you bring all the laws of England. (laughs) Okay? You bring... The woman, by the way, wasn't meant to talk to men. So imagine there will be gender... Yeah. Issues, there will be racial issues, yeah. there will be these issues. My child is disabled, and you wouldn't, you see what I'm saying? It will just be a whole lot of issues. There will be lawsuits. <laughs> this woman did not insist on her rights. Amen. She was humble. 
we insist on our rights. She was very humble. Not complaining, no grumbling. Philippians 2. Wow. No complaining, no grumbling. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Now, I'm not saying here you should allow other people to mistreat you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes when it comes to God, we feel we have certain rights against God. Wow. It dawned on me one time, so wow, I used to question God a lot. My faith has grown not to question God. God is God. He can do anything. And he knows all things. And I don't know anything. And I need to be completely humble before God. Yeah. I'll live and die not knowing a lot of things. And God knows all things in his sight. You know what I'm saying? Wow. She was very humble. Finally. She envisioned her worldly reality into spiritual reality. What do I mean by that? When Jesus said, um, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Verse 27, she goes on, yes it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Wow. She could immediately, again it reminds me of the the um the centurion, mm-hmm. a gentile who says to Jesus, Don't come to my house. Mm-hmm. I'm a military man. I give commands and my people obey me. So just speak yeah. and my, my servant will be well. Wow. Mm-hmm. He takes his his uh, worldly reality. Mm-hmm. This is what I do. I'm a commander. When I speak it happens. You are the creator of the universe. When you speak it will happen. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Wow, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Jesus said um, to the Israelites, look, you can read the weather and you know when it's going to rain. But you do not judge certain things. And indeed, as human beings, we can all, we all know the things we need to do sometimes mm-hmm. to get to certain places. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we don't do that. I thought, wow. I will never be late to work. Seriously. I'm not late to work. And I always say to people, when I'm interviewing people for jobs, when they show up first, where they're on time, Mm -hmm. unless they have very good reason for being late, I can guarantee they won't get a job Mm -hmm. if they are late. Wow. I'm going to hire somebody I'm going to work with for the next five years, Mm -hmm. and they can't even show up on time. It's going to be a problem for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Were they presentable? People have come to interview completely. It's as if they just have the last cigarette and walked in. And you think, wow. Presenting. You understand what I'm saying? When we are looking for things for ourselves, we do the best. We study hard. And when it comes to God's Purposes, oh man, we don't do anything at all. This woman, she saw a worldly reality in a spiritual reality. Said in the world, the crumbs, the dogs who eat it. Spiritually, it should happen to me as well. 
Let the crumbs fall, I will eat it. <clears throat> the centurion said to Jesus, I'm a soldier. I say to my men, go and do this and they will do it. So, you, you are the creator of the universe. Speak and it will happen. You don't need to be in my house. The demons will get out. You command them out. They will convert worldly things into the spiritual. And it's the same. I was studying the Bible with a guy once. And he said to me, you do you know I organize gigs? I said, what does that mean? He's a student. He organized parties. And you have 500 people there, he said. He said, I can organize gigs and have 500 students. Really? He said, if I become a Christian, I should be able to invite 500 people to church. I said, you get it. No, he didn't become a Christian eventually. But I like the comments he made. He said, wow. We Christians don't apply ourselves the way we apply ourselves when we're in sin. And I was listening to this guy, and I'm thinking, man, God, I pray this guy become a true disciple, because he's getting it. He said, I used to organize gigs and parties, and I'll get 500 people from all over to come for a party. If I became a Christian, I should be able to do that. And I thought that was true. Our natural talents really should convert to the way we serve spiritually. Okay. Wow. Have you had a salesman They are able to move you from one place to the next? Something you never even dreamt about. All of a sudden it came into your mind and now you want it. <laughs> I don't know how they do that. But it's a skill. It's a skill. I'm thinking, wow. Salespeople, when they become disciples, should be able to converse with any people. Because they have this natural talent. Okay. Whatever your natural talent will be. By the way, when you become a disciple, God gives you extra talent. I believe that with all my heart. Me standing here speaking to you is an example of that. When I became a Christian, I was the most timid person. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Even the singing, I didn't want people to clap. Okay. I was the most conservative, quiet individual you imagine. Surely not. So for me to even stand here and speak to you, it's a miracle of God, but I know it came from God. I don't stand here thinking, I don't think I'm a good preacher. I always say that. I never listen to my sermon because I know I'm so terrible. But, um, but, 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 but God is doing something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is God doing something? I've never thought it's me. It's not me at all. It's God doing something. And whatever we have naturally, we should use it to serve God in the spiritual realm. This woman was able to think from her worldly reality to say, wow, if this happens, that dogs eat crumbs, you know, was spiritually give it to me. I'm happy to be a dog spiritually. Wow. How, what humility in that. And we need to ask ourselves, are we doing that? Now, your question is, why did Jesus was so horrible to this woman? Okay. Jesus was teaching his disciples. How did the disciples view women in those days? You don't talk to them. Women didn't talk to men. Publicly not. John 4, 
woman and that Samaritan, the Samaritan woman said, who are you? You are not meant to talk to me. But Jesus spoke to the woman. That's the first thing. How are the Jews meant to relate to the Gentiles? How did they describe them? Dogs. That's how the Jews saw the Gentiles. So Jesus was saying things that his disciples were affirming. He was affirmed. They were affirming. Jesus was saying things to say, this is what you think about this woman. You think she's a dog. She's not part of our race. In fact, they came and said, Jesus, shoot this woman away. And then he finishes by saying to the woman, what? You have great faith. What is he trying to say to the disciples? You are wrong in all your analysis. Your upbringing, your concept is so unspiritual. You think this woman is a dog. You think this woman we shouldn't speak to. You think this woman should be sent away. But actually, in the spiritual realm, her faith is greater than yours. Her faith is greater than yours. I've just proved to you that our behavior towards the woman and a Gentile is the opposite of what God will expect. Jesus was teaching an object lesson to his disciples because indeed Jesus knew the woman had great faith. So, what would Jesus say about you? Will Jesus be able to say, you have great faith? Because of your deep conviction as to who Christ is, your belief in Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, that who believes, this is the belief the woman had. It's not just knowing that Jesus came, but believe, conviction. Okay. Love. We should be motivated by love. We shouldn't keep up the salvation to ourselves. We'll go and make disciples of all nations. It will be difficult. It may be dangerous. We may be afraid, but Jesus is with us. Amen. We will be tested. Our faith will be tested. Without testing, there will be no faith in us. If we give up, it will be like the parable of the sower. It springs up, there is persecution, and it dies. There is no test. It's not great faith. Amen. Humility. We need to be completely humble before God. He's the creator of all things. And we need to put the spiritual above the worldly. The spiritual, our worldly reality need to convert to spiritual reality at all times. Our talents that are natural and worldly could be used greatly for God. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. Great lawyer, killing the disciples. And when he converted, wow. He obliterated um, Satan's kingdom. He converted from one worldly to a spiritual reality. So, question, what would Jesus say about you? Your interaction with Jesus, would you go and say, are you still so dark? Are you a hypocrite? Are you a blind guy? Or would Jesus be able to say, woman, man, you have great faith. Let's think about that. Thank you very much.